The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 110 of the podcast or you're joining us here on YouTube. It's fucking fight week, folks. UFC 229. Before we delve into that, proper delve, you might say, let me introduce my co-host all the way from Fukin, New Jersey, <laughs> Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you feeling on this early Sunday evening, my friend. Bill, it's awesome. I feel rested this weekend. And, Bill, it's finally starting to get chilly up here. You know that's my type of weather. Um, I know around you, you forgot what chilly feels like. But it's the last day of September, so the fall's starting up here. Yeah, last day of September, it was 95 degrees here, and it felt like 102, according to the Weather Channel. So, uh no no pumpkin spice and uh and uggs for me anytime soon uh but let's uh let's not keep the people waiting jeff let's talk about the fight everybody's been talking about vulcan ozdemir and anthony smith fight night 138 all right no i'm just fucking with you guys so <laughs> we've been kind of teasing this the last couple of weeks because i feel like every other show has been talking about connor and khabib uh, leading up and we try to stay focused on what's immediately following so we always focus on the fights that are coming up the next week we might have mentioned it here and there but we wanted to wait until fight week to really take a deep dive into this you guys may be sick about hearing of this fight uh so you may want to skip the next 20 minutes or so or uh, I really think we're going to provide some different perspectives here. I've been trying to think outside the box. Jeff and I have both been watching some tape, which is very, you know, unusual for us. Usually everything's kind of off the cuff here. Uh, we actually did some preparations. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're down for some for some out of the box thinking on this fight, uh, then stick around here with us. All right, Jeff, let's start here. Your initial reaction when this fight was announced we kind of knew it was coming for a long time but once Penn went to paper and we knew conor mcgregor was gonna fight khabib Nurmagomedov for the title that he technically never lost uh what was your reaction bill initially i didn't think this was gonna happen uh you know i am someone who as a hardcore fan i feel like you have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt because anything could happen from now until fight week and even now we're about uh six days out anything could happen somebody could get injured and while i'm still speculating a little bit i, I think i'm not going to feel comfortable until they're both in there and the octagon door is closed um, because we got so hyped up for Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. And uh, I remember that being a huge letdown. But, Bill, you know, now that fight week is upon us, I'm super excited. I think that stylistically these guys, their matchup is really, really interesting. 
Yeah, there's still a chance that Khabib will weigh in at 159 pounds or some bullshit like this or get carted off to the hospital. But uh, if that's the case, I would imagine Tony Ferguson is going to step up last minute to take this fight. Uh, and that's the other reason I want to talk about this in the weeks leading up to the fight, because it would be such a waste of airtime uh, if this thing didn't come together. There's so many things uh, that could stop this fight from happening. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. So I have a lot I want to cover with this fight, Jeff, but I, I want to kind of address a, a lot of the commentary that's been out there and that I've been hearing, uh, you know, I've just been quietly observing and listening to what everybody's been saying. And I feel like a lot of people have this fight wrong in the way it's going to go down on both sides. So Obviously, Conor McGregor is uh, a very reaction-inducing fighter. He likes to get a reaction from the crowd. He wants to make you love him. He wants to make you hate him. Either way, you're going to watch him fight, and, and that's the way he operates. It's brilliant marketing. Uh, he's the biggest star the UFC has ever known and probably will be the biggest star uh, for years to come. That's just the way he rolls. So before that reason... You know, people are rooting against him or they're rooting for him. Uh, I, I don't particularly root for fighters, Jeff. You know this as well as anybody. We talk about this every single week. I just want to see the best fight possible. So I like to look at everything objectively. For that reason, I, I think there's a lot of false information flying around out there. And I think it could be broken down into a lot of details. But I think everything boils down to this. What people are saying is that if they're rooting for Khabib, they're saying Khabib is going to take Conor McGregor down and maul him for five rounds, and there's nothing Conor is going to be able to do because Conor McGregor can't grapple. The other side is saying that Conor McGregor is going to knock Khabib out in the first round because Khabib's chin hasn't really been tested, and Conor is just too good of a striker for Khabib to handle. Uh, I'm just going to come right out of the gate and say I think both of these things are false. And I have a lot of different ways that I plan to back this statement up. But I just don't see the fight going down this way. I don't think it's going to be a first-round knockout for McGregor. And I don't think taking Connor down is necessarily the way Khabib is going to win this fight. So let's let's uh, before I, I get down to how I think each fighter can win, uh, let's go back and look at a couple of different reasons why people have come to these conclusions. So I want to start with Khabib. Uh, now people are saying that he's not going to be able, people who are rooting for Connor are saying he's not going to be able to take uh, Connor's left hand and that Connor will put him down in the first round or put him down early and be able to knock him out. Uh, I think this is false. I don't think that'll even be Connor's strategy. I don't think he even has it in his head that he's going to knock Khabib out in the first or even in the second round. I think he's preparing for a long night. I think he has a really smart strategy, and I have a pretty good idea of what it is. Now, the reason people think that Khabib may not be able to take Connor's power is because specifically of his fight with Michael Johnson. He got rocked really bad in the first round with a quick shot from Michael Johnson, and uh, you know, it sent him stumbling and, and everybody brings up this narrative over and over again. Michael Johnson rocked him and Conor McGregor is a better striker than, uh, than Michael Johnson. Only the latter statement is really true. I went back and rewatched this fight. Khabib was stunned by that shot by Michael Johnson, but 
he was able to swarm in on him and close the distance. And Michael Johnson kind of panicked a little bit. And I, I was noticing Michael Johnson's footwork in this fight. It was very all over the place. He was trying to move his feet a lot to throw Khabib off, and Khabib just kept marching forward. And that's the reason he was able to keep closing the distance because Michael Johnson tried to stay a moving target, um, but he wasn't circling out. He was just kind of switching stances, and he wasn't keeping his back away from the cage, which is what allowed Khabib to take him down to the ground. And, um, you know, he didn't capitalize on rocking him either. Instead of circling out and picking his shots, uh, he tried to throw a few more quick ones, and Khabib was able to duck under and drag him down to the ground and put him through about 12 minutes of probably the worst experience of his life and one of the worst beatings uh, we've ever seen while he was talking shit to Dana White at the same time. So, Jeff, I know you went back and watched this fight. Uh, does your analysis kind of line up with what I'm saying here? Did you notice anything different? I have a couple of other points I want to get to on this one, but uh, what did you pick up on with this one? Yeah, Bill, uh, I noticed a lot of the things that you mentioned too. his footwork. He was a little all over the place, uh, whereas Conor McGregor is pretty steady with his footwork. And Bill, something I noticed about this was um, Khabib uh, or Habib, I should say. I think that's how it's pronounced. Habib striking, like we said, is lacking. Um, he really has no head movement and he was happy to eat shots. He was happy to eat leg kicks. He was happy to eat that left hand. And like you said, I think Michael Johnson, Michael Johnson freaked out a little bit um, in that fight because once he had uh, Habib um, wobbled with that first left hand, you know, he tried to swarm him and instead of picking the shots, like you said, and Bill, something that I noticed about Habib's opponents, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in Barbosa fight uh, in our analysis, but something I noticed is that Habib's opponents, Michael Johnson and Edson Barbosa, they cannot fight well um, when Habib closes the distance and they can't fight well moving backwards. I think Conor McGregor is efficient at both of those things, Bill. Um, but what do you think so far? Do you think that uh, we're kind of on to something here? Yeah. I, and the other thing, too, was that Michael Johnson was completely lost off of his back uh, because he's never really spent much time on it. Uh, we've seen Connor on his back in fights before, and he stayed calm in his fight with Chad Mendez, which we'll we'll circle back to a little bit later. Uh, you know, he was on the bottom and he wasn't expending all of his energy there. And um, I'm just laying the foundation for why I think it's false that Conor McGregor is is not a good grappler because I actually think it, his grappling is very very underrated. I know that's a bold statement, but. Um, I have some evidence to back that up. So Michael Johnson was lost on his back. The other thing where he was really broken was in the second round. Khabib did not take Michael Johnson down in the second round. Michael Johnson hit him, and then he pulled guard with a guillotine. He thought he had it locked up, and uh, once he was on the ground, Khabib really broke his will. Um, I think it would have been a little bit more difficult for him to continually take Michael Johnson down. Michael Johnson is an incredible wrestler. He has a really great sprawl. Uh, he's good at staying off of his back, but again, once he's on his back, he's a little bit lost. Um, you know, he's not going to submit you off of his back. He's not going to be able to spring back up like a lot of guys are able to. And then in the third round, he was basically taken down because he was just exhausted. Uh, Khabib just wore him out. Um, however, I still don't think 
that this is the way Khabib beats Conor McGregor by wearing him down by constantly taking him down. Uh, I, I think he probably has a different strategy in mind. We'll get to that in a little bit. Anything else on Michael Johnson or the Edson Barbosa fight, which which was very similar. Barbosa, you know, he tried to get off some of his spinning kicks and everything, but he was very tentative, especially for such an explosive guy uh, because he was so worried about the takedown. And, um, you know, we saw the same thing from Ally Aquinta. These guys could not pull the trigger uh, effectively because they were so worried about Khabib uh, taking him down. And the way Khabib closed the distance was just kind of rushing in with some sloppy punches. And, and that's how he was able to lock these guys up and get them down. So uh, any other observations uh, between these three kind of similar fights of recent memory? Yeah, Bill, I don't know how much Khabib has worked on his striking, but his striking is very rudimentary. It's very, its only purpose is to close distance so that Habib can get into uh, takedowns and clinch positions uh, to get the fight to the ground. And Bill, I don't know how well that's going to work against Conor McGregor. Um, we've seen him throw elbows and knees. We've seen that his um, his his hooks are pretty powerful, especially with the left hand. Um, so, Bill, something I noticed, especially with Edson Barbosa, was a lot of Barbosa's offense was less effective because Habib was so close to him. He went for this spinning back kick that it looked like it hit uh, – Habib, but because Habib was so close, he was able to duck his head and really um, all the power of that spinning back kick was lost. So it's really, really interesting, man, because um, like I said, these guys, they couldn't deal with Habib when he was in their face. And I think that McGregor has a style where he can fight backing up where he wants you to come at him and he uses your momentum coming towards him in addition to the power he creates to really really hurt people and we saw that against eddie alvarez especially um and without getting too far ahead eddie alvarez was extending his right hand really really far you could tell he was fighting emotional and connor got in his head and you know, because McGregor uh, is an unorthodox fighter, you know, he stands with his left hand back. Um, once Eddie Alvarez was reaching over with that right hand, it left McGregor open to just come over the right hand with his left and really, really hurt Eddie Alvarez. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, let's just stick with Khabib for one more second, and then we'll get yeah. over to uh, what Connor's going to do. So I don't see Khabib taking Connor down and holding him down for five rounds. That's just not the way I see Khabib winning the fight. And I think that because I went back and rewatched his fight with Gleison Tebow. The first time I watched this fight, when I watched it live, I thought Gleison Tebow won this fight because he stayed busier. It looked like he landed the bigger shots. He actually landed takedowns. Khabib was not able to take Gleison Tebow down. Then I rewatched it a second time when I was preparing for Khabib to fight Tony Ferguson, and I thought very much the same thing. And this time I went back and watched it a third time, and I saw it a little bit differently. And this is the way I see Khabib fighting Connor. And I think if he does this, it would be the easiest path to victory for Khabib. So Connor has not really shown a weakness to wrestling. It doesn't seem to bother him to get taken down. He's comfortable off his back. He's able to avoid shots, uh, big shots anyway. 
uh, he explodes when he needs to and when he has space to or he's able to create space to. Now, I understand Khabib is a different animal on the ground. Uh, he's got one of the most vicious top games we've ever seen. But I still don't see Connor getting uncomfortable or wasting energy down there. Where I do see Khabib being able to lower Connor's energy bar is in the clinch exchanges and holding him up against the cage. Now, the third time I went back and watched this fight with Gleison Tebow, I realized... He wasn't really trying too hard to take him down. Glyson Tebow is a big, muscular, lightweight. So when you carry a lot of muscle, it means that those muscles need a lot of oxygen to operate. So when you hold someone up against the cage and you make them constantly move their arms, their arms fill up with blood to get oxygen to the muscles, and that's what gets you tired. Now, Glyson Tebow didn't necessarily ever stop attacking in that fight, but it was a three-round fight, and... After watching it again, I could see why Khabib won. I still think Lyson Tebow probably won the second round, uh, which kind of debunks Khabib has never lost a round. But on paper, he still hasn't lost a round. So uh, just for humor's sake, we'll say uh, Khabib has never lost a round. But uh, I, I thought it was a an interesting strategy for him to do that because Connor is a, is a big muscular fighter as well. And... If Khabib has watched his fights in the past, I think he's going to notice too that Connor doesn't mind being on the ground uh, and that he's not going to waste a lot of energy there. Granted, he doesn't want to eat a lot of shots while he's down there, but he's pretty good at avoiding them. At, at, he's better at not getting hit on the ground than he is on the feet. Because of his fighting style and dropping his hands and stuff, he eats a lot of shots in order to give uh, you know bigger shots. Um, so I think this is Khabib's key to victory. Uh, he's got to close the distance. He's got to get Connor's back up against the cage, and he's got to make Connor carry his weight. Because if he just takes him down, uh, Connor's not really expending that much energy, uh, and he's going to stay calm on the ground. Uh, I, I really believe he'll be able to do that, even with Khabib on top of him. Um, but up against the cage, if he's able to get Connor's arms filled up with blood and get his arms tired so that they're feeling heavy in that third and fourth round. Uh, this is where you're going to see Khabib really start to run away with it. So I don't necessarily think it's going to be the wrestling and the takedowns. I think it's going to be the clinch and a clinch is going to be the only place that he's going to be able to take Connor down anyway, uh, because Khabib is not an open space shooter. He's not going to shoot across the ring for a double leg. That's not the way he does it. He gets in for tight body locks, and he drags you down into deep water. And that's the way he gets you to the ground. Khabib is not a big blast double leg guy uh, who's just going to shoot in on you. Uh, you know, he closes the distance. He, he locks you up. He makes sure he has a good grip on you. And then he drags you down uh, to misery. Uh, so I think that's going to be the key to victory for Khabib. I don't think it's going to be come down to the takedowns. I think if Khabib wins this fight, it's going to come down to how he was able to make Connor carry his weight in the early rounds of the fight when Connor's the most dangerous and then be able to take him down. Um, and, and I don't think, I don't think the latter will be as effective unless he's able to do that and make Connor less dangerous at the beginning of the rounds, uh, when they have to start standing. So, that's the key to victory for me for Khabib. If Khabib is going to win this fight, he has to clinch with Connor early in the first and second round, make him carry his weight for at least two minutes of each of those rounds uh, so that his arms get really heavy. Uh, remember, Connor's got a lot of endurance for boxing. We just saw him go over 30 minutes with uh, who some say is the best boxer of all time, Floyd Mayweather, uh, and it took him over 30 minutes to gas out. Um, so 
with that, I want to segue into Connor, but um, any last thoughts about Khabib here? Anything else you've noticed uh, in the tape that you've watched? And um, you think there's any soundness to my uh, clinch and wearing weight theory here, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I definitely agree. I think that um, you're idea of you know making somebody else's arms fill with blood makes a lot of sense that's something that anderson silva used to do a lot was make people carry his weight and um i just wanted to add uh two things uh that i think are going to be x factors here one is habib's gas tank um i don't know if he can go uh with that style of fighting i don't know if that's sustainable over five rounds because um, we're not going to count the fight with Ally Quinta because one, Ally Quinta wasn't ready for five rounds. He was scheduled to fight three rounds uh, that night. And two, uh, Habib changed up his offense from grappling and clinching to throwing a lot of punches in the fourth and fifth rounds, especially because Al was so tired already. Um, so I don't know if, if over a long uh, drawn out fight um, if he can win the war of attrition here. But uh, my second thing is that ground and pound bill, because we saw him annihilating Michael Johnson uh, from the top with a lot of those shots. I mean, ultimately he finished him with a submission, but he was being beaten senseless. Same with Edson Barbosa. Um, they, you know, the, the ground and pound that Habib was putting on them was just too much to handle. And ultimately, when they got stood back up, you know, their, their striking on the feet suffered because of all the punishment they took on the ground. So, Bill, do you think that Habib's ground and pound um, is going to be a big factor here if he can keep McGregor pinned down? Uh, yeah, it could be, but only in the later rounds. I don't think it's going to affect Connor and get in his head as much as it has like Barbosa and Iaquinta. I don't think Connor's going to feel as helpless. I think he's able to stay a little bit more relaxed on the ground than those guys. And, you know, Connor trains with some killer grapplers, man. Uh, say what you want about Dylan Dennis. Uh, the guy's got legit jujitsu. Marcelo Garcia, black belt. Um, you know, he's been training with Connor for a long time now. And, you know, he went as far to say he thinks that Connor can submit Khabib and things like that. But, uh, you know, that, obviously that's a lot of talk. But uh, this is a good segue because I really want to talk about Connor's grappling, which I think is probably the most underrated part of his game. He may not like to grapple inside the cage, but that doesn't mean he can't. And uh, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So, he, yes, he was submitted by Nate Diaz. But... I don't think he was out grappled by Nate Diaz. The reason Nate Diaz was able to tap Conor McGregor out is because he rocked him on the feet with punches, with his relentless boxing, uh, which is the way Nate Diaz is able to stun a lot of people on the feet. Conor was rocked, and in a moment of, I don't know what the fuck he was thinking, he shot for a takedown on Nate, and Nate said, okay. He beat the fuck out of him on the ground, and then he was able to get the submission after Connor was already basically given up and looking for a way out of the fight. So I wouldn't say he was out grappled there. Uh, then, you know, Connor's other two submission losses, he lost um, by arm triangle to Joe Duffy. That was eight years ago in Ireland when he was basically uh, freshly turned professional. And then uh, he was knee barred in the first round of a fight 
I think 10 years ago. Um, so we won't really look at those things. Uh, if you really want to go deep into records here, you know, the first couple of guys Khabib fought, they all have losing records. Some of them only had one fight. So, uh, they fought Khabib and then decided MMA is not for them. Uh, so if you really want to get deep into it, uh, you could go down and, and start comparing those early fights, but, uh, let's keep things a little bit more recent. Now, uh, another argument I've heard for why Connor's grappling is going to be his downfall is because Connor was out grappled by Chad Mendez and Khabib is a better wrestler than Chad Mendez. I think this is one of the most absurd statements I've ever heard. Khabib is an amazing wrestler and an outstanding grappler. Chad Mendez is a much better all-around MMA fighter. Chad Mendez was able to land big shots on Conor McGregor on the feet, and that's why he was able to shoot for takedowns in open space. Chad Mendez is also a two-time Division I All-American wrestler at Cal Poly. He was a Pac-10 Wrestler of the Year. This guy is one of the best wrestlers uh, to ever get into the octagon. Now, to say Chad Mendez was able to take Conor McGregor down and Khabib is a better wrestler, uh, that's really an obsolete statement because they're very different wrestlers. Chad Mendez can shoot a blast double across the cage and take down almost anybody standing in front of them because he has so many other tools. He can fake the double leg and come over the top with a big right hand. He can fake the big right hand and come up with a left hook like he did in his last fight. Um, Chad Mendez has so many tools, and that's why he was able to outgrapple Conor McGregor. He was able to close the distance so well. And also Chad Mendez coming off the couch uh, you know, he was on a hunting trip, drinking beer and, and eating beef jerky in the woods. When he got the call for this fight, he came way out of shape, uh, and he was still able to take Connor down, um, you know, which speak, which may speak to Connor's, uh, weakness at grappling, but it, it also speaks to Chad Mendez's ability to take people down. I, I really think it's a silly statement to say that Khabib will be able to take Connor down because Chad Mendez did. And Khabib is a better wrestler. I think Nothing can be further from the truth. I think Chad Mendez is a better wrestler for MMA because he's able to mix his strikes in with his grappling, and that's why his wrestling is so effective in the cage, not to mention his wrestling credentials. Also, this fight was at 145 pounds where Conor McGregor was a little bit more emaciated. Um, uh, the first takedown that Chad Mendez was able to hit on him, uh, Connor was able to spring right back up. And when Connor was being pinned down, he was able to move his head a lot. And Chad wasn't able to land a lot of big shots, which he's known for. Uh, Chad's ground and pound is really elite. Uh, and then at the end of the second round, Connor McGregor escaped uh, guillotine attempts by Chad Mendez, and he did everything the right way. He slipped out of it exactly the right moment. His timing was impeccable, and it really showed me uh, grappling awareness that I don't think he's been given credit for. Uh, escaping a guillotine from a Team Alpha Male fighter and one especially as strong as Chad Mendez and, and being able to do it with the exact exactly the right timing says that Conor McGregor is a lot more slick with his grappling than people have ever given him credit for. Um, and, and that's something I really picked up on when I rewatched this fight. Uh, but the point I really need to drive home is that Chad Mendez's grappling is so good because he's able to mix it in, uh, with power shots on the feet as well. So I know you went back and rewatched this fight as well, Jeff. I know I just threw a ton of information at you right here. Uh, but what are your thoughts? Um, based on rewatching this fight and, uh, and Connor's grappling ability. Yeah, Bill, I agree with you. I was one of the naysayers when it comes to McGregor's grappling, but 
after going back and watching his fight with Chad Mendez, you know, I noticed a lot of things. Uh, the first one was McGregor has a really solid takedown defense, man. Um, it took Chad Mendez two or three reshots after the first shot to uh, to really get McGregor on his back. Um, unless it was McGregor uh, throwing a sloppy kick or something in which Chad could take him down pretty quick. But um, yeah, Chad Mendes definitely had to work for it. And like you said, he's a really elite wrestler. Um, Two-time NCAA champion is is nothing to scoff at. So, um, you know, credit to Conor McGregor. And I feel like his base, you know, McGregor stands so wide. I think that's going to really help him. And that's part of the reason his takedown defense is so solid. Because um, to even get in on Conor McGregor is pretty difficult. And Bill, uh, something else I noticed when they were on the ground was Conor McGregor, as soon as his back hit the ground against Chad Mendes, he would lock up his guard and he would start pummeling. So for those of you who may not train wrestling or jujitsu, pummeling is you swim your arms to try and get your arms over your opponent's arms. And this is really, really helpful for MMA, especially if you're on the bottom, because it keeps your opponent from being able to extend their arms and put power behind their strikes when you're on the ground. So McGregor did a really good job of locking up Chad Mendez and taking away a lot of his ground and pound. So if he can do that against Habib, I think uh, Habib's going to have a little bit of difficulty there. And to add to what you said about getting out of the guillotine, Bill, um, Chad Mendez was trying to lock it up, and it, he made a little bit of a mistake. It looked like he slipped a little bit. But McGregor, like you said, was super slick and rolled over in time to get out of it. And not only did he do that, Bill, but he put his, I believe, his right arm over Chad Mendez so that Mendez couldn't lock up the guillotine again after the escape. It's such a little detail, Bill, but in grappling, those little details are so, so important. And that's what makes or breaks you. That's what separates the good grapplers from the great grapplers. And, you know, not to say that maybe Conor McGregor's not going to win an IBJJF, but Bill, he's got a lot of technical prowess when it comes to grappling that I really hadn't noticed until I went back and watched this fight uh, from a more objective standpoint. Yeah, definitely. The other thing, and uh, all great points, Jeff, the only other things I want to add is that uh, Khabib is not going to be able to take Connor down the way that Chad Mendez did because Khabib is not an open space takedown artist. Uh, Connor is excellent at keeping his back off of the cage. Uh, which is where Khabib is going to need to get him in order to take him down, in order to make him carry his weight, like I was saying earlier. So uh, that's the reason that Chad Mendez was able to take him down and hold him down, because Chad Mendez is uh, an all-American wrestler, and he's so used to taking down people in open space, and he mixes it in with his striking. Uh, Khabib is going to have to get Connor up against the cage, which is easier said than done, because Eddie Alvarez tried to do it, um, like you said, Eddie Alvarez fought a very emotional fight against Connor, and he had a hard time. The other thing I want to add is that Chad Mendez also submitted Jeff Glover in a grappling competition, who uh, is widely considered, you know, one of the best um, submission grapplers uh, in the world right now. Uh, so that that's another way to speak to uh, Chad, the grappling ability of Chad Mendez, who again his striking is easily five times better than Khabib's, and that's why he's able to. Uh, get those takedowns so easily um <clears throat> yeah so 
We also saw Connor stuff takedown attempts from Eddie Alvarez. I know you went back and watched this one as well. Um, what I noticed in that fight is that um, Connor, what he really likes to do is paw out with his uh, lead right hand and, and kind of gauge distance. He'll grab your glove. He'll kind of slap you in the face a little bit. And when he throws that left hand, he overextends on it so much. And, but he knows exactly where it's going to land. And it looks like he's putting his face in danger. But even in the final combination, when he finished Eddie Alvarez and he did the same thing with Jose Aldo, he ate a big shot on the way in. So Eddie Alvarez took a big swing. It, it grazed Conor McGregor's nose and Conor didn't even flinch. He put that left hand exactly where he wanted to. And that's what started the combination that ended uh, Eddie Alvarez. So even though he overextends on his punches, which you're not supposed to do, this is, you know, very rudimentary, uh, you know, level one striking. Don't overextend on your punches because it leaves you open to other things. We saw this with Ev Evan Dunham two weeks ago. We overextended on the right hand uh, and it left him open for that knee to the rib cage uh, from Francisco Trinaldo. Uh, but it just works for Connor because he knows exactly where he wants those punches to land and he won't throw that left hand unless he's positive it's going to land exactly where he wants it to. Um, however, the point I want to get to is I still don't think he's going to be able to use that left hand to put Khabib down. Khabib got a little bit wobbled in the fight against Michael Johnson, but I don't think it was as bad as the commentators were making it out to be. I think he was gathering his senses. He might've been a little stunned, but we've never really seen Khabib hit, but we've, uh, I mean, rocked, but we've seen him take some big shots from some big strikers. Barbosa landed some good shots. I Quinta landed some good shots. I don't think Connor is going to rely on that because Khabib is 26 and 0, and Connor is no idiot. He has really high fight IQ. I think you're going to see him come in with a very different strategy than a lot of people are expecting. So, the people saying that Connor's only going to win if he knocks Khabib out in the first round, I think this is false. I think Connor's going to come in with a smart game plan. After he lost to Nate Diaz, he came back the second time and he had a completely different game plan. He was working leg kicks. We never seen uh, leg kicks from Connor before that. Uh, and he even hurt his leg in the process because he's not used to doing them. I think he's going to find something that will work against Khabib. And I don't think he's anticipating being able to knock him out. Therefore, I think Connor's key to victory here is going to be working the body of Khabib. I think you're going to see Connor really start to butter up the body of Khabib early. Even when he's on the ground, you're going to see him peppering him with shots to the body. Khabib, uh, when he was supposed to fight Tony Ferguson and he had trouble making weight, his liver shut down. Conor McGregor can see your liver through your fucking skin and rib cage. <laughs> he knows exactly where it is. He knows how to reach it and he's going to go after it. Now, for those of you who don't realize and you've never uh, boxed or kickboxed or anything like that, when you get hit in the liver, it basically releases toxins into your body that shut you down. And I'll again reference Evan Dunham because it's the most uh, recent example. You get hit in that liver, all the toxins get released into your body and it basically causes your body to go into shock and you shut down. I think this is going to be the strategy of Conor McGregor. I don't think he's going to try and land a big knockout punch, even though Khabib has a huge head which is a huge target his giant fucking oscar the grouch head <laughs> <laughs> is gonna be really tempting but i think uh 
my opinion, for Connor to win, he's got to go after the body of Khabib. He's got to go after it early. He's got to go after it consistently. Because if he goes after the body, it's going to make it harder for Khabib to breathe as the fight goes on, which means it's going to make it harder for him to hit those takedowns. I don't see Connor going for the leg kick strategy against Khabib. Uh, I do think he's going to land some kicks to the body. Even after being taken down, I don't think he's going to shy away from it. He did the same thing with Chad Mendez. Even after Chad Mendez took him down and held him down on the ground and bloodied him up, Connor got right back up and he was sending spinning wheel kicks right into Chad Mendez's gut. And that's what started to break Chad down and left him susceptible for the knockout blows. So I don't think a knockout will come early from Connor. I think he's going to work the body of Khabib for the first couple of rounds. And then he's going to go in for the kill shot around round three or four, maybe even round five. So I think the strategy is very similar for both of these guys. They have to start out in rounds one and two kind of feeling out and then, uh, working in, uh, kind of unexpected things. You know, the expected thing is for Khabib to try and take Connor down immediately, I think he should try and clinch with him early in the fight. The expected thing is for Connor to try and take Khabib's head off early in the fight. I don't think he should try and do that. I think his strategy will be to go to Khabib's body early on. So uh, these are my two keys to victory. And the, uh, I'll, I'll kind of tie this all together by saying this is why I think, um, you know, a lot of the things that have been said about this fight, uh, you know, they're great for selling the fight. Connor can't grapple. Khabib can't strike. Uh, but I don't think it's as black and white as that. Uh, I think Connor can grapple. I think he'll be very calm in the grappling exchanges, which is going to help him out a lot. Um, and I don't think Khabib is going to rely entirely on his wrestling. He's going to try and clinch with Connor. He's going to try and beat him up in that clinch. He's going to try and land some short punches standing, uh, before, uh, he try and gets him to the ground. Either way, he will have to grapple and close the distance, but I don't think he's going to be shooting for takedowns right off the bat and try to hold him down for five rounds. Whole lot of information I've just thrown at you, Jeff, and I feel like um, I really tried to bring all my points together and bring everybody onto the same page as far as what I've been thinking about this fight for the last couple of weeks. I know we've been kind of quiet about it, and then um, you know it all kind of erupted. In, into these theories but uh, at the end of the day i see why the betting line is so close because both of these guys uh, you know have a reasonable chance to win i don't think for the reasons that everyone is predicting but i think this is going to be really competitive fight i'm really fucking excited about it i got my bottle of proper 12 whiskey right here and uh I, you know that doesn't mean i'm rooting for connor it's just khabib doesn't have a whiskey if he did i would have i would have bought that shit too or uh, vodka or whatever he, he may have put out. But all right, Jeff, I, I need to take a breath. So I'm going to turn it over to you. I, I know I gave you a lot of information. Uh, give me your thoughts here. So, Bill, actually, we are on the same page when it comes to Connor's keys to victory because um, I have some notes written on my phone here that I'm looking at. And, Bill, one of my keys to victory for Connor was to attack the body and slow down uh, Habib because that's how he beat Chad Mendez. In that first round, he attacks the body a lot, especially with those kicks. 
Um, so I feel like if he can do that against Habib, he's going to have a lot of success. I think uh, Habib's going to slow down, uh, like you said, uh, his liver shut down, trying to cut weight. And also he has a hard time making weight. So, you know, if you can attack, if Connor can attack that body effectively, I think it's going to pay dividends, especially in a long, uh, drawn out fight. And as for, um, the alcohol comment, I feel like, um, if Nurmagomedov was going to have his own, uh, alcohol, it would be called Nurmaga Smirnoff. Which uh, I think I think it sells, Bill. But um, dude, as for Habib, I feel like he needs to close the distance. Uh, try to stay to Connor's right, stay away from the left hand. Try to get the fight to the ground. And Bill, I'm curious as to which one of these guys can use leg kicks more effectively because um, the only time we've ever seen McGregor really use leg kicks is against Nate Diaz, and. Um, both of them in some of the fights that I watched, they were happy to take leg kicks. They didn't do anything to, um, check them or anything like that. And, um, Connor against Eddie Alvarez, there were a few initial leg kicks that made McGregor go to the ground and take a knee for a second. Uh, go back and watch that, especially the beginning. Eddie Alvarez hits this really hard leg kick on McGregor. Um, it didn't seem to slow him down, but Eddie Alvarez kind of abandoned the strategy. So. I feel like for Nurmagomedov, if he can use um, leg kicks effectively against McGregor and close distance, he'll have uh, a better shot. And for McGregor, who is actually really good at controlling distance, um, if he attacks the body, I feel like he can be really effective because that slows down Nurmagomedov's uh, takedowns. And McGregor has pretty solid takedown defense. So in the later rounds, I think that um, if... I think that Nurmagomedov may struggle um, because of his gas tank and if McGregor really goes for that liver and, and abdominal area. So, Bill, I feel like we, we kind of came to the same conclusions here, which is pretty funny because, you know, neither of us, like, discussed this before we started. We just kind of asked each other if we'd watch tape. So I think it's interesting that we kind of came to the same conclusions here. Yeah, and and both of us could be way off. Maybe Connor ices him in the first round or maybe Khabib, you know, shoots for a double leg. Uh, as soon as the referee says, let's go and then holds him down, uh, for 25 minutes. But, um, yeah, Jeff on the same page. And, uh, I know we're on the same page as far as being really fucking excited for this fight so much so that we forgot there's a whole other fucking fight card, uh, (laughs) leading up to it. Um, so let's spend some time talking about that in case, uh, you know, something happens and Khabib doesn't make weight or, or Connor gets drunk at the weigh-ins. Uh, drinking proper 12 uh, <laughs> while he's cutting weight. Uh, <laughs> Wait, actually, Bill, before we get into this other card, yeah. you've been drinking proper 12 for a little bit now. How is it? Um, well, my first glass is gone, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you who skipped ahead of our analysis of Connor and Khabib, uh, we're now on to whiskey, so you can uh, you can hang with us for the, the rest of the show. We're going to talk about the main card and the undercard of USC 229. And we're also going to talk about Bellator 206 from last night, which was a fucking shit show. But before we do that, proper 12 whiskey, I finally got my hands on a bottle, Jeff. I had been trying for the last two weeks. Um, I went and found it at Total Wine, which uh, you've you've visited uh, when you were down here. It's where we got the uh, Lagavulin for episode 100, the, the famous Lagavulin episode. 
not Laga fooling around. <laughs> and uh, so I found it. I went to the Irish whiskey aisle and um, I was so disappointed that I didn't see it because I really wanted to get my hands on it before UFC 229, just so we could talk about it on the show. Um, it was on the very bottom shelf and there was only a couple of bottles left and they were kind of pushed back on the shelf. So if I wasn't looking like a maniac, I, I wouldn't have been able to find it. Uh, I know it's flying off the shelves in Ireland and New York and, and everything like that. Jeff, you got to get your hands on this stuff because I know you're a Jameson fan. And the way it's being marketed is to be a competitor of Jameson. There are some similarities, but I also feel like there's a lot of distinct differences. So Jameson is aged for four years in oak casks, which gives it that kind of uh, yellowy look and and gives it that signature kind of smoothness which is why it's good uh as a shot uh you know some people like to do it with that disgusting pickle juice which i can't understand I, you know give me something that tastes like whiskey any day as opposed to something that tastes like pickles uh, i'm not a fan of pickles as you know jeff um so proper 12 aged for three years in bourbon barrels so um here's my only qualm with this jeff is they want to have a proper Irish whiskey, but it's Asian bourbon barrels, which is American. Um, so that that's the only thing that kind of throws me off about it. Uh, however, a lot of people are not going to pick pick up on that. Uh, but using the bourbon barrels does give it a darker color than Jameson. For those of you watching on YouTube, uh, I'm holding up a glass. It's neat right now. So it gives it that nice, rich uh, caramel color. It's a little bit sweeter on the front end than Jameson. Uh, you, you definitely get some vanilla and then a, as it travels back, you get a little bit of honey and then you get kind of like a, like a, like a burnt wood, like a, like an oaky taste towards the end. And then if you're drinking it neat, it does have a burn at the end. So unlike Jameson, I would not recommend proper 12 to be done as a shot. Uh, I like it on the rocks. Uh, and it's a smooth fucking whiskey. He really put his name on a really high quality product and I'm, I'm really, happy with it as far as uh being a competitor with jameson i think that's a big stretch but hey uh you know conor mcgregor always aims high um so i i think it, it, it's a really quality whiskey uh it's got a low price point uh you could pick up a bottle for 25 26 bucks i've seen it as high as 30 31 uh somewhere in there i, I think it was uh 25.99 where i picked it up from so in that regard it does rival jameson it has been flying off the shelves. It is a sponsor of UFC 229, so I see it doing pretty well. Uh, will it do as well as Jameson? No, never. Jameson is a staple uh, of Ireland, and you know it's a flavor people are familiar with. But I do think it is a nice twist on the Irish whiskey, doing it in the bourbon barrels. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of bourbon, Jeff, so I really enjoy, uh, you know, the kind of rich flavor. It's got a. It, it's a little bit more full than than a than a regular jameson i would compare it more to the jameson uh cask mates uh which are you know aged in in ipa barrels um so definitely a very rich full flavor but it does have that burn on the very back end uh so i, I probably wouldn't do this as a shot but i'm not a big shot guy anyway if you're going to take a shot uh drink jameson have that in your bar if you want to have something nice to sip on for ufc 229 uh then then grab a bottle of proper 12 unless um you know you hate conor mcgregor then uh i don't know then drink jameson because he doesn't want you to do that 
uh, I don't give a fuck. Drink whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I think about it. Um, so what do you think, Jeff? Did I sell you? You're going to go pick up some fucking proper 12 uh, for the fight next weekend or what? Yeah, I think I'm going to look for it probably Thursday night. Get started on a little bit before the weekend. Nice. Yeah. And then we can uh, we can we can talk about that. We can compare notes on the proper 12 uh, just like we have on the fights here. All right. So let's get into the rest of this card because we still have a lot to talk about. And I feel like we've been going at it for, uh, you know, we're probably pushing 40 minutes already here. I know that people get a little antsy when we do the long episodes, but hey, you have a fucking fast forward button, so deal with it. You see what happens, Jeff? I start drinking this Conor McGregor whiskey. I start cursing everybody out. All right. Well, Apologies. you know what, Bill? They'll do nothing. Yeah, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize to absolutely fucking nobody. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, carry on to this main event, uh, co-main event, which you know could end up being the main event. Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis. Uh, some footage just came out of Tony Ferguson using some kind of fucking shake weight 5,000 uh, deadlift. Where he's like, I don't even know how to explain this. It's like two mailboxes on the end of barbells, and he lifts them over his head, and he starts rattling them. Uh, and then he released another video where he's using a speed bag blindfolded. If you're Tony Ferguson, you had to pull out your last fight because you blew your fucking knee out tripping over some wires. Why are you walking around with a blindfold on? I ask you this, Jeff. Tony, if you're listening, oh, why, why, why do you need to train like Helen Keller for this fight? Well, when you tripped over wires and had to pull out of your last one, and you could end up with a title shot uh, if Khabib's liver explodes while he tries to make 155 pounds. In any case, Anthony Pettis, who is uh, rejuvenated uh, and and looked really good in his last fight against Michael Chiesa, even though he got overwhelmed uh, in the in that first round a little bit. Uh, but you know, Pettis looked, uh, okay. He's been hot and cold still. Um, I, I think this is a big jump considering, uh, you know, how hot and cold he has been, but, uh, this is an awesome fucking fight, Jeff. Uh, this is, this is a fight fans fight. Uh, this, this one's not gonna sell a lot of tickets, you know, maybe years ago when Anthony Pettis was on the Wheaties box and, and they could still ride that showtime kick into the ground, that highlight. Um, but this is a fighter's fight. This is like that, you know, all the all the real fighters are excited about this one. I'm excited about this one. It's an awesome co-main event. Give me your thoughts here. Um, you know, shake weight and blindfolded speed bagging aside. Bill, I'm excited for this one, man. Both of these guys are flashy. They are both super well-rounded, and both of them fight really well from distance, dude. Um, you know, Tony Ferguson's got those long arms. He can hook up that Darce choke really well. Anthony Pettis, no slouch on the ground. He's beating people off of his back because he has this weird guard where he's always moving. Um, Bill, I think that this is going to be a finish. I think that this is going to be super exciting no matter where it ends up because both of these guys can fight anywhere and everywhere. Um, they're efficient grapplers. They're good strikers. So I think it's just going to come down to who can use the distance better because both of them need that. Uh, Pettis especially to get some of his offense going. He needs that distance. So whoever can control it better, that's who wins this fight. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about this fight because these guys are both fighters who 
capitalize on transitions. They take whatever you're doing. I wouldn't even call them counterfighters. They're reactionary fighters, both of them. Uh, so they take whatever scenario is in front of them and they react in some way that you're not really expecting. And that's the way both of these guys fight in their prime. And that's what I'm going to expect uh, when these two square off. The big X factor is, well, there's two X factors and, and they're on e either side of the cage. Is Anthony Pettis really back to his old self? You know, has he worked out whatever problems were in his life and his training and, and everything else? You know, he's back with Duke Rufus. He says he's happy with his training. Now he's having good camps. If that's true, then we're going to see an awesome fight from him. Is Tony Ferguson completely recovered from his injury? Because, you know, a lot of professionals were saying he probably should have been out for a year uh, with what he did to his knee. He completely blew it out. And, um, you know, the guy trains really hard. Uh, so if he feels like he's healthy enough to be training like a maniac the way he does, uh, then, uh, you know, we're going to see some fireworks in this one, but if he's not, uh, and, and that knee ends up slowing him down, uh, and if Pettis is not back to him, his old self and he's a little bit tentative, we could end up seeing a shitty fight. Uh, I don't want to disappoint anybody, but you know, that could happen. Uh, and, and hopefully it won't. Uh, damper the atmosphere too much for the main event but uh, any other thoughts on this one Jeff yeah dude um, I, I think you bring up a really good point I think Ferguson is back after about six months out and uh, I heard some fighters say he should have waited at least eight or nine or a year so this will definitely be interesting I think that this is going to be a good test for both of these guys awesome yeah all right so here's what I'm going to do uh, for the sake of time and to spare the listeners here, I'm going to rattle off the next three fights. You tell me uh, which one jumps out to you that you're looking forward to the most. The undefeated Dominic Reyes getting in there against Ovin St. Prue. Hot and cold, hot and cold. Uh, pretty hot lately. Uh, uh, looking pretty good. Alexander Volkov and Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis coming off of one of the worst fights in UFC history against Francis Ngannou, which we expected to be awesome. But uh, he's getting in there with Alexander Volkov. Not going to be a lot of trash talk. Uh, leading up to this one, which usually helps Derek Lewis bring some eyes in, but obviously that's not going to happen with Volkov. And we got Michelle Waterson against Felice Herrig uh, in the straw women's strawweight division. So which one of those piques your interest the most, Jeff, and why? I'll be honest with you, Bill. I'm most interested in this heavyweight fight between Volkov and Derek Lewis. I think Derek Lewis uh, needs to earn a little bit of redemption here after that uh, debacle that was his fight with Francis Ngannou. Um, there were, yeah, nobody liked that fight. So I think he definitely needs to um, win the fans back a little bit. And Alexander Volkov, who's been on a hot streak, man, uh, he he won his last two fights by finishing Stefan Struve and Fabricio Verdum, who are no jokes or no slouches in this heavyweight division. So I think this one's going to, I think they're both going to be looking for a finish here, Bill. I don't think this goes three rounds. Yeah, awesome. Nice pick. All right, we'll, we'll move down the car a little bit. Obviously, the UFC, I don't think it's any secret, the UFC is trying to build up Sugar Sean O'Malley, uh, you know, who is one of the standouts of the first season of Dana White's uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series. Uh, Jose Alberto Quinones, uh, tough fighter, but, um, you, you know, hasn't finished a whole lot of people in, in recent memory. Um, ha has been TKO'd before. Obviously, the UFC would like to see what they hope is one of their future stars do well on a card with their biggest star. Um, I, you know, I don't think this is 
rocket science what i'm what i'm saying to you here jeff um you know they're they're basically setting up sean o'malley for success here but uh Kenyonis is no joke legitimate fighter and he's looking to play spoiler here any thoughts on this one um yeah i think the only this fight looks interesting i think the only loser here is a jujitsu tattoo that jose quinones has across his chest um not super flavorful <laughs> not super flavorful all right um if you're into flyweights which i'm not uh <laughs> sergio pettis fighting Jose da silva uh Jose da silva really legit submission guy so uh sergio pettis coming off a huge win over joseph benavidez this is a dangerous fight for him uh because you know he just took out the number one or two ranked guy and uh you know now he's taking a fight against a really dangerous submission guy but you know sergio pettis uh pretty slick as well uh interesting to see him fighting on the same card as, as his brother any thoughts on this one um, I got nothing for you, but I don't know too much about uh Juicier Formiga. Um, his record looks pretty good. Um, but I'm excited. I think that Pettis, I want Pettis to do well. Um, I want this flyweight division to to get new life, Bill. I think that if you give this division a chance, it won't disappoint you, Bill. Yeah, I think it will. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, let's just breeze down the rest of this card, Jeff. Tell me if you think there's a sleeper fight that people should tune into while they're popping their proper 12s on Saturday night. We got Tanya the Plumber, Avenger, taking on the undefeated Aspen Lad. Uh, that should actually be a, a really great fucking uh, bantamweight fight uh, for the women there. Ryan LaFlair and Tony Martin. Uh, Yana Kunitskaya and Lena Landsberg going at it. Gray Maynard, who came back from the dead, fighting Nick Lentz, who also is like the walking dead on this card. And then uh, Alan Patrick Silva Alves and Scott Holtzman. So if you had to pick one of these to be the sleeper fight of the night that you have to tune into, you don't want to get up for a drink refill during Jeff. Which one are you going with here? I'm going to go with Ryan LaFlair and Tony Martin, Bill. Um, both of these guys are... Um, their records are pretty close to each other. One is 13-2, the other's 12-4. Um, one's more of a stand-up specialist, and Tony Martin is more of a grappler. So I think this is going to be your classic grappler-striker matchup. I think this is going to be a good one. All right. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely going to be watching UFC 229, so I don't think we need to sell this anymore. Um, you know, We'll see you on the other side of it, and, and we'll break down the results. Um, I think decent job marketing this fight by the UFC. It, it's, it's been kind of like, you can kind of tell they're like, we know everybody's going to watch it. So like, here's some, here's some cute Instagram videos and stuff. Um, I, I guess they did some, some billboards and, and things like that, but not a strong marketing effort. I got to say, you know, the one press conference and everything like that, but we're all going to be watching. If you're listening to this show, you're going to be watching. So I'm not worried about that. Um, Really excited for this one. You know what I'm not excited for, Jeff? The fucking future of Bellator. Now, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Bill, it, was, it wasn't a bad card. Come on, man. No, no, no. The card was phenomenal. I can't, I can't hold the fighters accountable for this. But listen, Bellator, listen to me. Listen close, Bellator. Scott Coker, listen. What are you doing? What, what the fuck are you guys doing? 
you're trying to transfer like one of your biggest cards, a super fight between two guys who hardcore fans always want to see fight Gegard Musasi and Rory McDonald middleweight champion welterweight champion and you're kicking off your welterweight grand prix and nobody can fucking watch this fight what are you doing what are you doing stop it stop it get off this fucking streaming platform all right so jeff I went over to my buddy Matt's house last night. We wanted to watch uh, the Eddie Bravo Invitational EBI 17 last night, which was on Fight Pass. If you missed it, it was a, a middleweight tournament. It was combat jujitsu, which is grappling where you're allowed to slap each other in the face and, and do palm strikes to the body and stuff. We wanted to watch it because uh, a member of our Gracie Tampa family, Dan Martinez, was in the tournament. Unfortunately, uh, he got eliminated in the semifinals. But he looked fucking phenomenal. Uh, you know, he lost in overtime in the semifinals match. I don't even know who won the thing because we turned it off uh, after Dan's match. But so we all gather to watch this thing. Uh, Matt's a big Ohio State Buckeyes uh, football fan. So he had two big screen TVs in his living room set up, right? We got the EBI on one screen. We got the football on the other. So whichever one ended first, we were going to get Bellator on the other screen. What channel was it on, Jeff? Uh, Dazin, Dazin, I don't know how the fuck you pronounce this. Now, I hate to correct you here. It should be pronounced Dazon. I don't know how you get this out of D-A-Z-N. <laughs> That's I, stupid. I, I, Jeff, I have a fucking master's degree in the English language, and somebody had to explain this to me, that it's Dazon. Nobody's going to find this. And even if they do, so Jeff, EBI ended. We're like, all right, great. Let's get the Bellator on. I'm, I'm streaming it on my phone just so we have it in the background. We could, we could keep track uh, of which fight is on. We're all trying to, um, we're all trying to figure out like how we can get this app. Can we get it on the smart TV? Can we get it on our phones and then, and then cast it onto the TV or or like Apple TV, Google Home. We're downloading 50 fucking apps. Three of us, Jeff, tried to download DAZN. Again, D-A-Z-N. Bellator, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're making me rant. I don't like to rant. I don't like to get angry, especially when I'm enjoying some nice proper 12 Irish whiskey here. Um, three of us tried to do it. You get to the point where you enter the payment, which, by the way, Jeff, DAZN costs you $9.99 a month. And, and they were offering a free trial, which, great. You know, let's see if it sucks. And we'll watch the Bellator fight. And if, if it's good, you know, we'll talk about it. But we're probably going to cancel it and then try and do another free trial when another big fight comes up. All three of us got errors when we we're trying to download the, the app. So we couldn't – Bellator – we're trying to pay for this show and you won't even take our money. What are you doing? What are you doing? Just put it on fucking TV and get sponsors. You guys have been good at this for years. Scott Coker is one of the best promoters uh, in the business. You know, granted he's one of like, I don't know. There's maybe 20 in the country that promote MMA, probably a little more. Maybe it's closer to 50. I don't know, but he's one of the best. He's up there. <laughs> What the fuck are you doing? We could not get this fight on. So we're sitting around. I think there's six of us, like a bunch of assholes trying to watch it on two cell phones. 
and we're trying to sync them up so that they're playing at the same time. We have the volume on one of them. We're sitting in front of two big screen TVs and we have uh, an Android phone and an iPhone like sitting right in front of them. What a fucking fail by Bellator, especially because this card was really solid. They had a great main card. They had a lot of name power at the top of it. With, especially with Rampage Jackson and Vanderlei Silva. As much shit as I talked about this uh, last fight, uh, last show, and uh, on other podcasts and elsewhere that I've been a guest of, uh, you know, you, you, there's a part of you that always wants to see these two fight. And they put on a fucking awesome fight, Jeff. They both came in there looking bloated and dad bod as fuck. Uh, it, it looked like their skin hurt because it was trying so hard to, like, hold back the inflammation that <laughs> that like that, i don't know if they were both like oh great we're in bellator now we can take steroids but like don't wash it down with a bunch of milkshakes come on <laughs> you guys you guys are two of the biggest savages in the history of this sport in any case awesome knockout uh by rampage who's back in vanderlei silva up the whole time i'm gonna officially end my rant jeff and we'll just get into the action here i'm gonna start with the co-main event just because i hate to i hate to veer towards the negativity you know this about me so uh let's just start with uh rampage and vanderlei i got it all out of my system now uh so uh vanderlei was back against the cage uh basically the whole fight and rampage able to put him away with a big right hand and he dropped him, and it was vintage Rampage. And now these two have each knocked each other out twice. Um, I don't know if they're going to make a fifth fight, but if they do, I hope it's in Ryzen in a ring and, and somebody gets knocked out through the ropes. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the way I want to see it. I want to see these two get back in shape, um, get back on the steroids, get Vanderlei back on the cocaine, uh, get rampage some hookers before the fight and, and let's see these two go at it like vintage rampage and Vanderlei. but uh what were your what were your thoughts on this fight jeff so so bill initially i thought this was a really bad idea and bill once the fight started i still thought it was a really bad idea <laughs> but, <laughs> but bill the finish was awesome rampage looked so much bigger than vanderlei silva in there and he had him backed up against the the cage had him clinched up made vanderlei carry his weight around which these days is quite a lot of rampage to be carrying around um because he's a heavyweight and you know overall it, it was it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready for part five, Bill. Let's do it. That's a fair statement. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm game for it now. I, it wasn't as big of a shit show as I anticipated. It, it definitely wasn't the rampage and Vanderlei of old. Like they're definitely shells of themselves. Very bloated, bloated shells of themselves. Like, sh like stuffed shells. Like <laughs> you would find at a, at an Italian restaurant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like somebody took out their essence and then put and then you know put a cream filling instead uh, <laughs> uh let's talk about this main event um this fight came together because these two guys wanted to fight each other uh great uh, i'm all for that you know these guys have some kind of personal thing they want to work out awesome we got the welterweight champion the middleweight champion uh roy mcdonald's been talking about moving up and weight a lot um i I thought that Roy McDonald probably should have had a rematch with Douglas Lima because their fight was so close. Roy McDonald couldn't even walk at the end of this fight. 
Um, when this fight was announced, I only saw it going one way, and that's the way it went. Uh, leading up to it, I saw a lot of hardcore MMA fans saying like they can't wait to see Rory like move up and wait and win against Gegard Mousasi, and I was really confused to see so many people legitimately thinking that Rory McDonald could win this fight. These two guys are very similar. They're both very stoic. Uh, they both look like they could potentially have human body parts in their freezers uh, for like consumption. Uh, very sociopathy, um, serial killer vibes. Uh, and, and their styles are very similar. They're both very solid strikers, both very stoic, not a whole lot of movement. They move just enough to get off the center line. Uh, and, and then they come with, you know, a lot of straight punches. Um, Rory probably has better jujitsu, but he doesn't have better wrestling. Uh, he went for that really shitty Iminari role from way far out. The same thing he did against wonder boy, uh, in his last fight in the UFC, the difference is wonder boy didn't capitalize on it. Uh, when, when, uh, Rory went inverted, which you, you should not do in an MMA fight. You should not go inverted. You should not put yourself on the ground. If you, if somebody doesn't force you to be there. And uh, that wound up being his downfall. Gegard Mousasi got on top and just pounded Rory McDonald out. And I really didn't see this fight going any other way because they they both have very similar skills. Uh, Gegard can do pretty much everything Rory can do, and he's just bigger. I mean, Gegard fought Mark Hunt, for God's sakes. And didn't die in the process. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Gegard Mousasi, dude, easily makes light heavyweight. He is not a small guy, man. And Rory McDonald, he's he's a welterweight. So to move up, I don't think it was the best idea, Bill. Yeah, maybe not yet. Maybe if he had, like, cleared out the division, wait till after this tournament is over. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting fights for him. You know, Michael Venom Page is out there. Paul Daly's out there. I think that's a fun f – oh, well, he already beat Paul Daly. Um, John Fitch, uh, you know, a, a rematch with Douglas Lima, I wouldn't mind. Andre Korshkov would be a fun fight uh, with Rory, but uh, obviously that's not going to happen anytime soon either. So um, for Rory, I think – Stay at, you know, I know he has these big goals to moving up and wait, but um, I, I think it's just too much. Um, A.R. Musasi, a lot of people forget because he's so quiet and he's so stoic. This guy, two-time dream champion, strike force champion, uh, middleweight champion. He's fought at 205 and demolished. Like, he, he's knocked out Sokaju, who is like an animal. He's, he submitted Mark Hunt. You know, he destroyed... Uh, Chris Weidman in his last fight in the UFC, even though there were some controversies uh, surrounding that. He knocked out Vitor Belfort. Uh, he knocked out Thiago Santos, who we were talking about last week. Um, it, you know, list goes on. He knocked out Dan Henderson, for Christ's sake. He he uh, submitted Mark Munoz, who's one of the best grapplers uh, ever. Uh, he beat Ovin St. Prue, who's uh, a light heavyweight. And then he got in there and he beat uh, welterweight. Granted, it's a big name, and uh, I think a lot of people uh, who are in the MMA community and apparently forgot who Gegard Musasi are, who Gegard Musasi is. Um, he definitely impressed them because uh, everybody seems to think the world of Rory McDonald. I thought it was a really close fight he had with Douglas Lima. Uh, I didn't think it was appropriate for him to move up and wait, but these guys said they wanted to fight each other, so. Uh, I was all for it, but I didn't see this going down any other way. Uh, something that was a surprise was seeing 
Andre Korskov get put to sleep by Douglas Lima. Uh, I, I thought Korskov was probably up on the scorecards in this one. And this was weird that it was a five-round fight. I guess all the fights uh, in this welterweight tournament are going to be five-round fights. Um, so I was a little thrown off when I saw that. I When the third round ended, I was like, all right, I put Korskov probably won this one. Uh, then I went into the fifth round, and uh, he got put in one of the tightest rear naked chokes I've seen in a long time. Give me your reaction to this one, Jeff. Yeah, Bill, I agree with you. Um, this fight wasn't super exciting. I thought Korshkov <clears throat> or Korshkov, uh did a good job of you know maintaining the distance. He was pretty dominant on the feet, but Bill, when it got to the to the ground in that fifth round, Douglas Lima, man, putting on the squeeze and the way he took. Uh, Korshkov's back was phenomenal. He first uh, sunk in one hook, then tried to basically jump the other way. And in so doing, he rolled Korshkov, locked in his second hook. And Bill put on uh, the one of the tightest rear naked chokes I've ever seen. Um, you know, there was very little room in there. Korshkov, I, I don't think he even had time to tap with how tight Lima's squeeze was, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, so really impressive fight uh, for a really impressive comeback by uh, Lima here. And Korshkov's a tough motherfucker. He's, yeah. he's one of these guys you forget about. Um, I, I thought he was going to be a dark horse in this welterweight tournament, but um, you know, I guess it's not going to work out that way. So uh, one of the brightest stars that Bellator has been pushing, and uh, I'm, I'm all about it, is Aaron Pico. Uh, this, this kid is fucking phenomenal. I think he was a million and oh as an ncaa wrestler um i think he pinned a million people and he was the first person to ever pin a million people um uh, that's that's a super accurate fact you can look it up uh <laughs> in any case uh it was his boxing that won him this fight against leandro higo who is one of the more experienced guys that pico has been in there against he came into this fight 18 and 4 and you know he's got legitimate wins uh, in, in MMA, he's got a win over Terry on where, um, you know, who, who's a notable featherweight fighter as well. And, uh, Aaron Pico able to get the job done, knocking him out in the first round, just got in his face, stayed in his face, not worried about being taken down because the guy is an elite, elite level, uh, wrestler. And, uh, you know, if it didn't work out on the feet, he could have probably taken down. He at will, but just completely overwhelming a much more experienced fighter. I was so impressed with Aaron Pico, and I, I know I've been high on this kid for a long time. Uh, even though he lost his debut, uh, I think the sky is really the limit for this kid at only 22 years of age. What were your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, Aaron Pico looked pretty solid. I thought he took a couple more shots than maybe he needed to, but overall, um, he looked good in there. Um, he can keep up a really relentless pace, and you know he's solid all around. Like you said, super high-level wrestler. Um, he does also have some pretty good hands. I know he's got some boxing experience. So, Bill, I'm excited to see what's next, man. I'm excited to see this kid's development. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and for a kid who's such a high-level wrestler, he's got four wins in a row by knockout. Uh, yeah. So uh, really exciting prospect. Uh, Gilbert Melendez's wife, Carrie Melendez, getting a split decision victory over Dakota Zimmerman. And then uh, we'll just cover the main card here. Gaston Bolaños getting a vicious KO victory 
over Isidro Gutierrez in the second round. Uh, give me a, a quick rundown of these two fights, Jeff. Yeah, dude, Melendez versus Zimmerman was super, super exciting. Uh, Zimmerman was doing a really good job on the ground. At the end of the first round, she had this tight arm bar, but Melendez just would not quit. She would not tap to it. And then she made sure that the fight was standing for the next two rounds. So super, super fun fight. And Gaston Bolaños versus Isidro Gutierrez. I mean, Bolaños just went in there and annihilated Gutierrez. Um, I believe this was Gutierrez's debut you and Bolaños just had way too much for him yeah yeah so um all the drama of trying to watch this card aside uh the fights were very very solid um but still fuck you Bellator what are you doing um I can't stress that enough get off the streaming platform nobody's gonna pay for this garbage all right, so we're going to move on from Bellator 206. Um, obviously, we have Douglas Lima uh, moving on in that welterweight tournament, uh, and I believe that's the only fight to have taken place in uh, in the uh, in the tournament so far. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention very, very briefly: Ryzen 13 took place. Uh, these things take place at like three or four in the morning. Um, and uh, just a couple of notable wins. So UFC uh, UFC veteran Darren Crookshank landing a flying knee KO over former uh, Ultimate Fighter competitor Diego Brandau 17 seconds into the second round of their fight. So go back and check that one out on YouTube. And then uh, Big Bob Sapp busting a 14-fight losing streak, getting a unanimous decision over some guy. Uh, <laughs> dude, <laughs> Bob, oh, Bob Sapp, Bob Sapp continuing to fight is might be a worse decision than Bellator uh, putting their fights on DAZN, <laughs> which, which may oh, be man. a worse decision than DAZN calling themselves DAZN and spelling it DAZN. <laughs> so, Bob Sapp, if you've never seen him, he's 45 years old, six foot five. 329 pounds. This guy is a physical spectacle and he's a staple of Japanese fighting. Um, but he was just like a novelty for a while. Like he, he won some fights earlier in his career. He brings his record to a stunning 12 and 20, uh, with this win. Uh, but he's a physical specimen. Like it, it, I feel like I, I guess people always want to watch him fight in Japan. They always love a freak show. Uh, so good for Bob Sapp snapping that 14-fight losing streak. Go on with your bad self, Bob Sapp. And then uh, Mirko Krokop, uh, who has also been in the news lately for saying that um, Us USADA came to him and asked him to be a rat, mm -hmm. and, he and he refused. And, and he went over to Japan to get back on the steroids, and he broke a dude's face in half. Uh, so uh, Hoke Martinez... Miracle Krokop basically grabbed the back of this dude's head and came with one of these over-the-top elbows. I'm demonstrating for those of you watching on YouTube. One of these over-top elbows and landed it right in between this guy's eyebrows and split his face open, like in half, like parted the seas, like Moses. It was... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was pretty it was pretty brutal i only saw a short clip of it but the doctors had to stop it they were like oh his face is broken in half we gotta we gotta end this fight and then um you know it seemed like there were some other fun fights on here as well you know some quick knockouts um uh big knockout in the main event here uh protoskaya and jake hewn uh but you know rising uh, is always fun but they're just um they're just not too late. And this was at, in the Saitama Arena where I was actually present for a UFC event uh, three years ago. Awesome place uh, to, to see a fight. Uh, you can go back and listen to some past episodes and, and hear me talk about that experience. Just so much history in that building, and it, it just has such a great vibe. The, the most awesome experience I've ever had uh, seeing a fight live. So, Jeff, we, we went in. We, we finally did it. We, we dove into Khabib and Connor. Uh, we've been avoiding talking about it for so long. And, um, you know, I, I really feel like we gave some unique opinions on it here. So if you change your mind and you want to go back and listen to it because you skipped over it earlier, go back and check that out. I really think uh, we have a unique uh, spin on that one. Jeff and I both kind of came to the same conclusion as the keys to victory for both fighters. Uh, I've enjoyed quite a bit of this proper 12 as we've been talking here, Jeff, I'm going to enjoy a little bit more of it uh, after we're done talking here. And uh, I'll, you know, I'll be sure to save some for UFC 229 next week. We talked about how Bellator was such a shit show, uh, but the fights were good uh, rising, you know, faces breaking in half. A lot of good stuff on this episode, Jeff, any, final thoughts anything else you want to get off your chest here um yeah i thought that just overall this bell tour card was good and guys if you missed anything from it uh go back and watch the fights that we mentioned and also cast bell versus ty costa cast bell has this green hair kind of reminds you of um who was that flyweight Louis um, yeah him Louis gaudino except um Casbell actually won a couple of his fights, so um, so so he won by an arm bar last night against Ty Costa. Uh, pretty good fight. I thought he was going to lose that one up until that arm bar. But Bill, um, overall, I'm excited for this weekend. And Bill, my plan is to this week get all my work done before Friday night because on the weekend I plan to do nothing. So I can watch this fight. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, technically Conor McGregor never lost this title. Uh, a lot of people think maybe Khabib didn't deserve to win it, uh, because he was fighting the number rank number 11 ranked guy, uh, last minute when he won the title. So uh, after Saturday and the next time, uh, we all talk, we're going to have an undisputed lightweight champion of the UFC. And that's fucking exciting. If you want to talk to Jeff about it, you can reach him at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And of course you guys know how to get a hold of me. So don't be shy. It's at MMA on the rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere on the internet. Send me an email, MMA on the rocks at gmail.com. That's all we got for this week. Lots to look forward to UFC 229. Until next time though. Cheers everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>